to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. I submitted on the liturgy sheet verse 42 as the beginning of our reading, but I've decided I'm going to start at verse 40. Mark chapter 15, verse 40, page 1010 in the Pew Bible. (coughs) Mark 15 and verse 40, some women were watching from a distance, referring to the crucified Christ. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But... When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. This is the word of our God, and may he bless it in our hearing uh, this afternoon. As a song of uh, preparation, we'll sing from Psalm 30, which was also our call to worship this afternoon. And we sing of how God takes... Um, our sadness and turns it into joy. Psalm 30, your Bible's open this afternoon to Mark's gospel in the 16th chapter. The uh, text for my sermon are the first eight verses as Mark recounts uh, the resurrection. A beloved in the Lord our God, uh, life is uh, filled with all kinds of events and activities that require preparation. I don't know, maybe you're hosting an Easter dinner today, and if you are, then no doubt there have been some preparations involved with that. It is always a good idea to be prepared when it comes to hosting people in your home. It makes it kind of awkward if you're not prepared for their arrival 
Now, we have many joyful events in life that we find ourselves preparing for, but we also have uh, many sad events in life that we must prepare for as well. I think of uh, funerals and burials. Uh, these are things that one must uh, prepare for. If you've never had to prepare for this, um, this is your heads up. Uh, death, especially in the hours and in uh, the first days after it happens, is not so much a time to sit back and to grieve and to reflect, but it is a time to get busy to prepare for a funeral, to prepare for a burial, to contact a funeral home, to make arrangements, and so on. A life and its events and its activities uh, require us to be prepared. Whether we want to be busy with some preparation or other, uh, we don't have a choice. Uh, this afternoon as we read God's Word together, we met some women. Um, that's how Mark introduces them in chapter 15, verse 40, some women. Some women who were watching from a distance as Jesus breathed his last. Matter of fact, there was many women, said Mark, and he highlights a few of them by naming them, presumably because the early church was familiar uh, Mark's readers were familiar with the names of these women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of uh, James and Joseph and Salome. And so we first meet these women in uh, this moment of the cross. They're, they're observing the death of Jesus. And then uh, we discover that uh, these faithful disciples of Jesus, they'd followed him in Galilee and ministered to him in Galilee, and then they followed him down from Galilee to Jerusalem. These faithful disciples of Jesus uh, are also there to observe uh, where he was laid in the tomb by uh, Joseph of Arimathea. These women who had the great privilege of ministering to Jesus in his life now take on for themselves the a painful responsibility of ministering to Jesus in his death. And just before uh, we get to um, their journey to the tomb, uh, Mark tells us that they observed his birth, they observed his burial, and then they observed Sabbath. They were not only faithful disciples of Jesus, but they were faithful uh, daughters of God, and they observed the Sabbath according to his command. But as soon as Sabbath was over, which would have been um, 6 p.m. on Saturday, uh, the shopkeepers would have opened up their businesses, and the women would have hit uh, the shops in town. Uh, they were shopping for some perfumed or aromatic oils, and Mark tells us why they were shopping for those oils. It was their intention and to go early Sunday morning to the tomb of Jesus and to anoint his body with oil. And uh, they wanted to be prepared for that early morning uh, journey. And so already on Saturday evening after Sabbath was over, uh, they were in the shops and they were making uh, their purchases so that they might be prepared. And yet as we follow these women uh, to the tomb early on Sunday morning, uh, we discover that they were 
in so many different ways, completely unprepared. They were unprepared for the stone. They hadn't thought that one through. They were unprepared for who they found in the tomb. And above all, they were unprepared for the news of the resurrection of their beloved Jesus. And yet as we walk with them this afternoon and we see what they see and we hear what they hear, then if you look at our text, what stands out most is not the fact that they were in so many ways unprepared, but what stands out most is how the Lord made provision for them. And that's my Easter message to you this afternoon. The Lord makes Easter provisions for the unprepared. Pick up our text this afternoon at the second verse then, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. So a new day has dawned. The sun is just creeping up over the horizon. The darkness is being chased away, and we watch as three women make the journey to the tomb of Jesus. And Mark has told us in uh, verse 1 that they go to anoint his body. The Jews did not embalm their dead. They did not seek to preserve the body from decay, but what they did seek to do was to mask the smells of decay. And so they had the practice of uh, anointing the body of the deceased. And so they had purchased, as I said, these perfume, these aromatic oils on uh, Saturday evening And now they're carrying uh, those oils and they're going to anoint Jesus' body. I I found it striking uh, as I was working with this uh, part of God's word this past week. I found it striking that Mark uses this word anoint. uh, Striking because it's not the first time in Mark's gospel that a woman has gone to anoint the body of Jesus. Direct your attention just back a couple of chapters to to Mark chapter 14. And there in Mark chapter 14, while he is in Bethany, which is nearby Jerusalem, he's reclining at the home of a man named Simon the leper. A woman comes in with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So here's this woman, she comes in, uh, she's got, you know, the most expensive perfumed oil that money can buy, and she just dumps the whole thing all over Jesus's head. And of course, there's some annoyed people. Uh, whenever someone is spending a lot of money, someone else is going to be annoyed. Some of those present were indignantly saying to one another, why this waste of perfume it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the, the money given to the poor. And they gave her a hard time, says the scripture. They rebuked her harshly. And Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing for me. She's anointed my body in preparation for my death and my burial. Leave her alone. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to care for the body of the dead. I think sometimes we, we forget that. We... Uh, We say things like, well, it's just their body. No, it's not just their body. It's their body. It's them. 
Yes, their spirit has departed, their soul has departed, but these women who spared no expense in life, uh, in ministering to Jesus, Mark says they ministered to Jesus at the end of chapter 15, and Luke tells us in chapter 8, verse 1, that they ministered to him from out of their own means. They who spared no expense in uh, ministering to Jesus in life also spare no expense in ministering to Jesus in death. They do a beautiful thing, at least they intend to do a beautiful thing. They spend their money, they buy their perfumed oils, and they go to the tomb early in the morning. And in all the, the busyness and in all the business of their preparations, they'd unfortunately overlooked one very large problem, namely a stone that was blocking the tomb of Jesus. They were unprepared, and, and we hear them talking about this fact as they're walking to the tomb of Jesus. <coughs> they ask each other, uh, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And then I love how Mark continues, and looking up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And I just love this moment. They're talking about this problem, and then they look up, and the, the problem has uh, disappeared because the Lord had made Easter provision for them. I think sometimes we read this moment uh, in uh, the resurrection story where the Lord has rolled away the stone from the entrance to the tomb, and we we think that he did that so Jesus could get out. Uh, But uh, Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away to get out any more than he needed the disciples to unlock the door on Easter Sunday evening so that he could get into the house where they were hiding. The Lord doesn't roll the stone away so that Jesus can get out. The Lord rolls the stone away so that the women can get in. And they do go in, and uh, sticking with the theme of being unprepared, they're very unprepared for what they find. Uh, Verse 5 of our text, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, that's the signal he's an angel, uh, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I think alarmed might be a bit of a, uh, an understatement uh, when it comes to the emotional uh, and mental response to what these women discover in the empty tomb, at least empty of Jesus, but filled with this young man in a white robe. Mark actually has used this same word also back in chapter 14 uh, when Jesus enters into the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. That uh, word uh, translated here as deeply distressed in our text is translated as alarmed. I think you get the idea that there is an a strong emotional uh, reaction by the women to what they discover in the tomb. And, and they're processing this, and they're alarmed by what they have discovered. They're greatly distressed. They're greatly bothered. They're troubled by what they have discovered. They're bothered and troubled by what they are seeing as well as what they're not seeing. They're seeing a young man dressed in white, and we know that's Bible cue for angel and And they're not seeing the body of Jesus. Now, so often happens in the Bible when 
human beings encounter divine messengers, angels, the first thing that the angel does is address the emotional response, address the fear and the distress and the alarm. And and he says to the women, do not be alarmed. I love how the Lord makes Easter provisions for their emotions. And it's understandable that they're alarmed and they're distressed. After all, they're absolutely unprepared for this moment. They have come seeking the crucified body of Jesus and they're not finding it. And no doubt, as they're alarmed and distressed, you know, the question is just going off in their heads, what has happened to Jesus? What has happened to his body? It's not like the empty tomb speaks all for itself. I think sometimes we make the assumption that the empty tomb proclaims the risen Jesus. The empty tomb proclaims nothing of the sort. All the empty tomb proclaims is there's no body of Jesus here. The empty tomb needs an interpreter. And the Lord makes Easter provision by providing an interpreter inside the tomb who can interpret the tomb. And he offers an interpretation to them that underlines for them his initial communication. Do not be alarmed. He says, you seek Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. I ask you, is there any greater provision in all of the world than this provision of the Lord? He is risen. He is not here. Paul reminds us our Christian faith rises and falls on this moment, this truth, this reality. He is not here. He is risen. And then there's that that gracious invitation. And I, I love this moment too. See, he says, the place where they laid him. And I, and I thought about that, you know, this past week. What, what, what was he inviting them to see exactly? I think sometimes we can, we can read this and it can be like this, this invitation to go back to, to the grave of one of our loved ones and, and someone says, see the place where you, where you laid him where you laid her, and, and we look in, and it's just completely empty. It's just, just this vacant space. But, but truly, what this invitation is, is the equivalent of going back to that place and, and, and seeing the casket there and the lid open and the clothes that they were wearing when you buried them inside the casket, because that's what they're being invited to see. They're not being invited to see a place that is empty. They're being invited to see a place that is filled with evidence. You ask people to see evidence. In other words, the linen shroud that we read about at the end of chapter 15, the one that Joseph so lovingly wrapped the body of Jesus in, that's lying there in the place where they laid him. And it was there because Jesus no longer needed to wear that shroud of linen. That was his grave clothes, we can say. 
But Jesus is not wearing the clothes of the dead anymore. Jesus is wearing the clothes of the living. And they're invited to see it. They're invited to look. To take note of the fact that Jesus doesn't need his clothes of death anymore. Lord makes Easter provision for the unprepared, for the doubting heart. He says, see. And as I was thinking about that, I, I thought of the sacraments of the church. We make a confession about why God has ordained sacraments in the church, why he has given us holy baptism, why he has given us the Lord's Supper. And we confess in the Belgian Confession that our gracious God is mindful of our insensitivity and weakness. Our insensitivity. We, we're not fully sensitive to, to what he says to us. There, there's a weakness about our, our faith that doesn't fully always embrace uh, the words he speaks to us. You know, that's what's going on here in the empty tomb. There's a, there's a hesitation. There's words coming out from the angel. He is risen, he's not here. He was crucified, but he's risen. But there, there's a hesitation of heart, and, and God is so gracious as to say, see the place where, where they laid him. And as the church continues to proclaim the angel's message, the church also continues to encounter uh, people within her who struggle to, to be fully sensitive to the gospel and to its wonderful promises that Jesus was crucified for the complete forgiveness of all your sins, that, that Jesus was raised from the dead so that you might have everlasting life. And so the Lord in his gracious provision for you invites you to come close and to see. And so you see someone being baptized. You see represented in that the, the washing away of all your sins through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You, you see that, that burial with Christ, burying, being buried with him through baptism into death, and you, and you see being raised with him to newness of life. And then you get to the, to the Lord's table and you, and you see the bread and you, and you see the, uh, the cup. And you're reminded that Jesus Christ, he who was the Nazarene, was crucified for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. He's not here, but come. Take, eat, remember, and believe. Come, drink from it all of you. Remember and believe. He's not here. But you get to see and taste and touch and take. The Lord makes Easter provisions for the unprepared. Well, he is not here, as the angel says, so of course that begs the question, where in the world is he? And the answer is he's right where he said he would be. For as the angel is speaking to the women, he says, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, uh, just as he told you. 
If your Bible's still open, we'll go back to Mark 14 one more time. We seem to keep dipping back into Mark 14, but there it is in verse uh, 27. Right after the Lord's Supper was instituted, they sing this hymn and they go out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus uh, predicts the falling away of all his disciples. And he uses that Old Testament language, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I'm going to be betrayed and as soon as I'm betrayed, you're all going to leave. And then he says, but, uh, verse 28, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. You know, in all the midst of of their sorrow and their grief, uh, all the disciples, the men as well as the women, had completely forgotten about this meeting. There's always an awkwardness when you forget a meeting. I don't know if you've ever had that. You're supposed to be somewhere and meet someone and, and you completely forgot about it. And then they text you or they call you and say, are you coming? They're like, to what? Our meeting? Oh, I forgot. They were supposed to meet the risen Jesus in Galilee. And yet they're busy running around in Jerusalem, looking for the crucified Jesus. And what does the Lord do? He graciously reminds them that they have a meeting that they're supposed to be at. He graciously sends the angel to the women, and then he graciously sends the women to the men, and the message is, he is going before you into Galilee. You'll see him there, just as he told you. You know, they had forgotten But Jesus never forgets. And Jesus is gracious to remind you when you've forgotten. It is easy in this life of sorrow uh, to lose sight of where Jesus is, to be wandering around rather confused and lost and forgetting where Jesus is. Jesus is going before you. Jesus is going before you. Jesus is making Easter provisions for you so that you will be able and ready to see him just as he told you. There is a day coming that Jesus has promised to meet you. He's going to meet you in the clouds, in the air, and you will be with him forever. I believe the resurrection of the body will, will sing shortly. I believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Jesus is going before you. Tell the disciples and Peter, says the angel. And then, and then we come to the closing verse. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Uh, It is this verse that makes uh, most everyone, including most preachers, go running to all the other Gospels for the resurrection story. There is something about Mark's Easter story that uh, makes us uncomfortable, that makes us even uh, afraid Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's why some various scribes 
tried to finish off what they thought needed to be finished off in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm not going to go into whole, uh, you know, the note, but you can read it. Uh, there's uncertainty about the verses 9 through uh, 20. Seems pretty evident to most that someone was trying to finish the story better. What are we afraid of with verse 8? We're afraid that we're going to end the Easter sermon on a a down note. Uh, We're afraid that we're going to offend the women because uh, we see them uh, doing something that we think they shouldn't have done, being all scared and running out of the tomb and saying nothing to anyone. I'm afraid of... uh, ending the sermon on a down note, and I'm afraid of offending uh, the women of the congregation. Uh, But here I go. I won't offend you, I promise. Let's go right to the end. They were afraid. Why were they afraid and what were they afraid of? And I started doing what I was doing all week long. I started reading backwards in the Gospel of Mark and I had to go much past chapter 14. I had to go all the way to uh, chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark. And I found another woman. And she was a very sick woman. The woman was there, Mark 5.25, who had been subject to bleeding for, for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I don't know if any of you men or women can identify with her. To have a a sickness and to have it only get worse despite seeing specialist after specialist after specialist and and you've got like universal health care and she had to pay out of pocket for every visit. And she'd spent all her money and it only had gotten worse. And then she hears about this man named Jesus. She comes up behind him in the crowd and she touches his cloak because she thinks if I I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. She touches his clothes and immediately uh, the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body uh, that she was freed from her suffering. And, And then Jesus, you know, asks who touched me? And the disciples are like, well, look around you. Everyone is touching you. He's like, no, no, someone touched me. And he looks around and he sees her and she comes forward. And and Mark says that when she got to Jesus, uh, she knelt down at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. Here's this woman who had felt in her body that she was healed, and yet with her body, she is trembling with fear in the presence of the one who had healed her. She trembled with fear because she had experienced something that was out of this world. And that is exactly why the women flee the tomb. They had stood in a place where Almighty God had been at work and it left their bodies trembling, their minds whirling, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. 
as I spent time in this passage in the past week and frankly a lot of time on verse 8, I discovered that the focus for a lot of the discussion around verse 8 is answering a question. The question is, did the women obey or disobey the angel? Because it says they said nothing to anyone. I concluded by the end of the week that the question is irrelevant. It's not the point of verse 8. If you're curious, you can go to the rest of the Gospels and you can read the account of how these women went and told Peter and the other disciples. Their silence was clearly temporary, as was their fear and as was their trembling. But I think what the Holy Spirit would have you notice would have you realize is that it is a mistake to rush past these very first moments of Easter. We have this natural desire to just get to the happy ending of the story. And we don't want to stop with the words, for they were afraid. But you shouldn't get so comfortable with the Easter story as to lose sight of this fear and this trembling that is going on. Because if you were in their uh, shoes, so to speak, you would have feared, you would have fled, you would have trembled, and you would have been unable to speak a word to anyone. The Lord is active in this world. And if you're not prepared for it, it will leave your mind whirling and your body trembling. And even if you are hoping for it, it will still leave you trembling. But the good news is that he is active in this world. Even if we're not prepared for it, even if we're not ready for it, even if it leaves us shaking in our boots. The Lord is active in this world, and that's a good thing. Because it means, brothers and sisters, that things won't always stay the same. That the sick won't always be sick. That the dead won't always be dead. That the evil one won't always be present. That the darkness will give way to the morning light. That the end is not the end. It is but the continuation of the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where Mark began his gospel, by the way. Chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when he comes to the end of his gospel, it's not the end. It's but the continuation of the beginning. And may each one of us see the risen Jesus, find our hope and security in him, and so be able to sing, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.